0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Thursday, August 23rd, 2021. On the show today, news about paid FastPass and the Boa Buffet. And in our main segment, Jim gives us part three of the history of Disney's haunted mansions. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that dying and coming back to life in West Virginia is the mystical process known as reincarnation. <sighs> It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going?
1: <laughs> oh, I have no words for that one. That is great. That, wow. All
0: right. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really enjoying that one. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Jim, uh, a new record number of subscribers yes, on Bandcamp. So yes, thanks, thanks to Thanks to everyone who subscribed. Yes, thank you very much. And thanks to new subscribers, Rhonda C., Tracy Hunt, and Mare, and longtime subscribers, Steve Lutwin. Craig, 1971 Nelson, and Mark Rugg. Jim, these are the folks who ride in the back car of every Casey Jr. train in Disneyland, delivering Amazon Prime packages to all the miniature villages and towns along the route. True story. Ooh, I would imagine you can't even see the front of
1: Geppetto's toy shop at this point. It's <laughs> all them tiny little cardboard
0: packages. You wonder who supports the villages. And this you do a little digging and this is the answer. All right, folks, let's do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of this Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, start with the simple news. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure will open with virtual queues, that is, boarding groups, and no standby. We said this would happen a couple weeks ago. Lo and behold, James... Okay, this happened. I I believe the phrase we use here is we always start a
1: show with a hearty round of self congratulations. So yes, exactly. Every show should begin with a round of self
0: congratulations. Okay. Also, uh, Boma, the fabulous buffet over at. Animal Kingdom launch has reopened. In fact, a couple of hours ago, Jim, and so uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Mm. They opened at eight o'clock. Our very own Christina was there. Oh, okay. Said it was. Can she come fantastic. back on the
1: show and talk about it? I
0: I always have enjoy having Christina <laughs> <show. laughs> We're gonna have to have her on because she's uh she's been sending me pictures of stuff. Um. Let me just say, Jim, that's not the way to start your morning. Like I've been traveling a lot, so I came back, mm-hmm. you know, this morning and in the kitchen for breakfast. Mm-hmm. The things that were available to me were a couple of grape tomatoes. A fig, a hard boiled egg, and some protein powder. (laughs) And Chrissy starts sending me pictures of the Boma buffet. Um, Like I now I am super hungry. Mm. Anyway, she said it's fabulous. Looks really, really good. She goes back to dinner for dinner tomorrow night. Cool, cool. So super excited about that. And then we'll have Christiana talk all about it. Good. Great to hear. She also said that um, Food and Wine opened the seven booths. That they were supposed to open on October 1. They opened them early last week. So um, she's sending me tasting notes on that. We'll have her back. She can talk about all that. Okay. Also, Jim, uh, this week Disney confirmed that the NBA experience in Disney Springs is closed forever. Jim, we hardly knew it. This one, especially if you're a member of the Disney
1: World Resort Management hurts. October 2014, the Walt Disney Company extends its relationship with the NBA. New nine-year agreement that runs through the 2016-2017 season all the way to 2024-2025. As that's going on, Disney turns to the NBA and say, Hey, we've got this building uh, on the west side of Disney Springs, Disney Quest. And what do you guys think about doing something similar to what you do in West Springfield, Massachusetts, you know, the, the Basketball Hall of Fame they've got there. But what if we do it in a Disney way? And the NBA is intrigued. So uh, June of 2015 gets announced that on the West Side, you know, we're going to get... In in the NBA experience, there was
0: an NBA thing at Universal, right?
1: Yeah, but again, that was more of a restaurant shop thing where this this was, they they described it as a -a one-of-a-kind destination, hands-on activities, put you right in the middle of NBA game action, and the idea was they were going to put it inside of... The five story tall, 100,000 square foot Disney Quest building. And they actually announced, you know, that work would begin in 2016. But 2016 comes and goes. And nothing happens. And the reason this is, is the NBA goes down to Florida, walks through the Disney Quest building and goes, nah, we don't want to fill a 100,000 square foot building. We're thinking, say, a 50,000 square foot building. So you're going to need to pull this down and build us a brand new purpose built building. And Disney was like, well, that wasn't really what we agreed to. And so it stalls for the better part of a year and Disney finally acquiesces. Uh, we hear in January of, of 2017 that Disney Quest is going to close in July. And it does. And then in October of that same year, uh, we see demolition of the Disney Quest building begin. March of 2018, the SEAL Steinley starts going up for the NBA experience. And they finally open the doors in August 12, 2019. $34 to get in and play, what was it, 13 interactive experiences and right from the get-go, they struggled to get anyone to come through the door.
0: No, yeah, there was uh, at one point they were positioning cast members all along that particular side of Disney Springs mm. in NBA jerseys, saying, "Have you tried the Dis- Have you tried the NBA experience?" Yeah. So, you know, in a weird sort of way, it was kind
1: of a kindness. That March of 2020, the pandemic comes along, all of Walt Disney World reopens. and But for me, it was very, very telling that first element of the Walt Disney World Resort that comes back online is Disney Springs. That's May 20th, 2020. And Disney Springs opens, NBA experience does not. This whole time, we've been hearing stories about how the NBA is furious with Disney because they weren't getting their numbers, and it was just sort of like, well, if we hadn't had to tear down the whole building, this might be a different story. You know, that we wouldn't be shouldering these huge costs. And, and now Disney's got to turn around and find a tenant for this 44,000 square foot building that was purpose-built for the NBA experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just a lot of space.
1: And what about this basketball court? Well, you know, square dancing. What do you think? Come
0: on, you know. (laughs) Clogging, it's coming back. There you go, there you go. Yeah, that's, so what did it, it ran what, six months? If that, if that. Oof. Even then,
1: they knew six weeks in, they were in trouble. Yeah. And they began having discussions with the NBA about lowering price points, and and it's just, they, they would have none of it. So,
0: I mean, honestly, it, unless it was free, I don't know that anyone would pay to go in.
1: And the thing that kind of kills the people at Walt Disney World is, yeah, Disney Quest hadn't been updated in decades, but it still did business. You know,
0: the, It was something. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, now you have a, a building just sitting there with no... Well, so. I mean, they, they could put video games in there.
1: <laughs> that would be the cruel irony, Glenn. <laughs> but you can't do that because you already committed that idea to the play
0: pavilion at Epcot, which is going oh, right, into the right. old
1: wonders of life building.
0: So I forgot about that. Mm. Yeah, uh because we haven't heard anything on that in a while. Mm. All right, keeping uh keeping the news in Disney Springs for a bit. Uh Search of Soleil, drawn to life, now has an opening date, which is November 18th of 2021. Tickets are on sale today, but as we record this on the Thursday before, Jim prices are not released. Have you heard anything about pricing for this? I want to say somebody had backdoored in
1: and had arranged for two seats in the backmost section of Drawn to Life, and the price they were quoting for the low price tickets was $85 a piece. I question how they got in. They could have taken advantage of a glitch, or somebody may have shared that info, but but that's an interesting place to start.
0: That's a little bit more than I anticipated, mm-hmm. but uh, but we'll see on that. Yep. You know, I've never been to a Cirque du Soleil show in Disney World. Really? Yeah. The last
1: one, La Nuba, when I went... Well, I went twice. I saw it early on, and the only way I can describe it, Glenn, it was kind of like a fever dream. It's like, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jim, I think that's every Cirque du Soleil show ever with different music, right?
1: But the second time, I actually, the the folks at Cirque were kind enough to allow me to chase the stage manager backstage for an entire performance. And we went everywhere in that theater. In fact, I, I remember we were up on the fifth or sixth floor of the building looking down at the stage watching as the safety net for the areas was being folded into place. And evidently it was, you know, again, they're, they're, they're so professional. It couldn't fold to, you know, just I think a half an inch away from the wall of the theater to accommodate this and then just fold up and disappear, you know, for the next act, Wow. Uh, you know, it was an amazing evening. You know, still remember the experience fondly and have great hopes for uh Drawn to Life, if only because Disney Legendary Goldberg did a lot of new animation for this thing, so I'm I'm really hoping it's going to be a great show.
0: It'll be good to draw people to that end of uh, Disney Springs too. Mm. The uh, the restaurants and stuff on that side have been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh,
1: yes, especially uh, given the underperformance of a certain NBA experience. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. And uh, and they're getting a new uh, Salt and Straw, right? The place that's taking the place of Ample Hills. Yes, yes. So it's also going good. Mm-hmm. So a few new things coming mm-hmm. to uh, to that end of Disney Springs. That's good. All right, Jim. The big news this week: uh, Disney finally announced pricing and details on its Disney Genie, Genie Plus, and Lightning Lane offerings. So we had outlined this mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Let's go over the uh, the basics here. Mm-hmm. So Genie is the trip planning app that maps out your day and suggests times for you to visit favorite attractions. There's this thing called Genie Plus, which, if you're familiar with Disney theme parks, is paid fast pass in the style of Max Pass at Disneyland but for Walt Disney world at $15 per person per day and Disneyland at $20 per person per day. Instead of uh, calling it fast pass lines, it's now using the lightning lane, which is the new word for fast pass line. Uh, also Jim, you'll be able to buy a lightning lane individual passes for one or two attractions per park. Disney didn't release the cost of this. I'm hearing something like five to $25 each. Mm-hmm. So that's the, those are the big three things. So, I think a couple of weeks ago we outlined all the different ways in which we would be able to to win in line. It looks like we got most of that right. The one thing that didn't Disney didn't announce mm-hmm. that is in Paris mm-hmm. is the idea of a standby queue where if a line gets too long, you won't be able to enter it. We thought that was going to be part of this announcement. it's not. So uh, anyway, we got paid fast pass in Walt Disney World and Disneyland uh, two different ways, uh, and we have a trip planning app coming up. Yeah. what was your take on this Jim?
1: I first want to ask if you saw the headlines today that accompanied this announcement. Again, we'll start with the Orlando Sentinel: Disney World replaces free Fast Pass with paid reservation system. New York Times chose to write about the story, saying, "To skip the line at Disney, get ready to pay a genie." And then, Market Watch has: Disney is replacing a beloved free perk at its American theme parks.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that that was necessarily the headline that Disney Media Relations wanted. No wanted to, not to take away that people wanted yet. no and over the past 4 months there have been
1: eight different stories to the effect of expensive things you know disney raising prices that sort of thing R- realistically this story started in january when disney announced they were eliminating magical express
0: right so magical express went away and it only uh, it was only in the last couple of weeks mm-hmm that we realized how much the replacement mears connect is going to cost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's $32 per person round trip between the airport and the Disney hotel so fam- uh, and $27 for kids. Mm-hmm. So what 100 and 110 115 dollars for a family of four. Yeah. That was free in 2020. Mm-hmm. Now it's an additional cost, right? From
1: May 24th of this year. This was tied to the opening of, of Avengers Campus. The Today Show actually did a story about how Disneyland now has a super-sized sandwich that's $100. CBS Market Watch did the same thing. Avengers Campus is a $100 sandwich. And now, mind you, this is the Pimnini, which is a sandwich that's a, a
0: designed, a giant sandwich that's designed to be served to six to eight people. Right. So it's 15, 16, 12 to $16 per person right. Right? in the overall scheme of things like, that's in line with Disney prices. But then
1: just less than 10 days later, again, tied to the opening of Avengers Campus, we had the Orange County Register ran a story about, would you pay $65 to get the top score of the Spider-Man
0: ride? Oh, right. Because you uh, you can add um, uh, Spidey, Web Slinger toys that's it exactly put them on your yeah, yeah for 65 okay
1: yeah. jump ahead to july of this year travel and leisure post a story about the disneyland paris replacing its oh
0: hold on so you're, you're the there was a there was a june announcement right so in june disney announced oh. that only deluxe resort guests there we go would have access to evening extra magic hours you
1: see what's going on here the the drum beat yeah. you're gonna have to pay extra you're gonna have to pay extra and the announcement of the Fastpass coming to disneyland paris and the tribal leisure thing put out there, hey, we're hearing the same system coming stateside. To give you an idea that Disney is obviously sensitive about this issue, July 10th was the day the story broke about if you booked a VIP tour, you could get into Rise of the Resistance. Without having to go through the whole virtual queue boarding group nonsense, right? That story came out, and Disney immediately retracted. What was it? I think three days in, given the bad press they were getting. Oh, we're not doing yeah. that again.
0: But then they, but then they reinstated it a few days after that. Uh, yes. And by the way, did you notice when they um, when they announced it that also uh, uh, a company needed an increase? on the top end rate of a VIP tour uh, from $750 an hour to $850 an hour. See,
1: this is this is what I'm thinking. you know and then <laughs>
0: July 29th
1: we had the Scarlett Johansson, you know, suing Disney over failing to pay her what they'd agreed to for Black Widow and Disney pushed back hard and
0: the, here's the thing I couldn't figure out on that. Yep. Like I understand I understand Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. suing the company over the particular language in her contract. Yep. The thing I didn't understand was Disney's response to her. Yeah. Like why, first of all, I don't know what message it sends to other actors mm-hmm. who want to work with or uh, who might work with Disney. Mm-hmm. But Scarlet is done. She's been a, a, a good sport mm-hmm. and done whatever Disney asked her to do over the last 10 years or whatever no. for the ending. And again, she's, you know, handsomely paid for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me wrong. No. But she's strongly identified with the Marvel franchise. Mm-hmm and for Disney management to come out and criticize her specifically for this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. First of all, to let it get to this point, what are we talking about here? $20 million. And so this was my, this was my question to somebody in the, Mm -hmm. in the wall street community. Mm -hmm. If you went to the board of directors and said, we're going to, we're going to make Scarlett Johansson mad, Mm -hmm. but we're going to do it in order to avoid paying $20 million. Is that a good investment (laughs) in the long run? Would you make Scarlett Johansson mad for twenty million dollars? Uh, and I don't know that that's a good decision. No, right? No,
1: it's not. And especially when you think of the resulting bad press, and w- oh, which by I, I,
0: I loved <laughs> Disney tried to say mm-hmm. that she was compensated fairly, and that and that they were disappointed that she. Tried to make money back. She might try try to do something. What that uh, like callous mm-hmm. during COVID, mm-hmm. which was like, of the two of you, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson and the Disney Company, which one of you fired thirty thousand people and cut them off from money and healthcare during the pandemic? I don't think it was Black Widow. And but I was the person I was talking to was like, what? Why? Uh. Why are you doing? Who's like? And you know this is not some PR flag. No, this is not an intern no. at uh, Disney Public Relations writing these responses to Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. This had to be approved literally by Bob Chapek. Yeah, and like you don't you don't criticize Scarlett Johansson if you're somebody out, run, out running the Disney Twitter feed. And the blowback there that Chapek got. There were a number
1: of stories in the trades, the effect of, you know, here's a guy coming out of consumer products who's not used to dealing with talent. And what does this say long-term I about mean, Disney? You don't
0: even tell
1: it. You don't treat people that way. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't. <laughs> well, I I don't know if you then saw off of the earnings call last week about kind of when he talked about how releasing Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yes, there's been a COVID resurg- resurgence. And so now we were going to go with a 45-day long window between theatrical release and when it would, could show up on Disney Plus and how oh, this was an an interesting data point and, and experience and Samuel Liu, the gentleman who plays the title. Oh,
0: they said it was an. Ex- he said it was an interesting experiment, right?
1: Yeah, but again, he he used the term "data point" at some point to the effect of, and this is the thing when you talk about actors and you talk about movies. Samuel went on Twitter and actually challenged the CEO of the company. So that that's two two stars from the Marvel Cinematic Universe who came out and made the CEO look bad. Which again, when you only have a two year long contract before the the board has to. decide Side, whether or not you're going to continue on as a CEO probably yeah. not the best thing and meanwhile you had Kevin feige head of Marvel Studios standing on the red carpet in front of the El-, El Capitan I just want this to be resolved amicably I would re- <laughs> I would really like for all of this to go away very quickly well that's the thing I mean he's gonna he's gonna have to deal with the actors mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, right. yeah and
0: this is the MCO where people come and go you bring them back right but I mean, okay, so so you see how Disney's treated Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. You're Emily Blunt mm-hmm. looking at this and saying, am I going to have to worry about every single thing being spelled out in my contract? Mm-hmm. or Because inevitably, th- things happen that people can't anticipate mm-hmm. in a contract, right? It just, it's, it's, it's just part of life, right?
1: Not to further go down the rabbit hole here, but I, I don't know if you saw, what well, was reported in Baloney's What I've Heard newsletter, but basically... Emily, no, it's Emma Stone, Emma Stone, who who starred in the the Cruella movie, who just agreed to do Cruella 2. And evidently, very quietly, in order to make sure that she didn't launch a lawsuit of her own, they had gave her a seven-figure make-good payment for the first Cruella movie and promised her that if she came back for the second one, she'd get a seven-figure salary. So this is all because we need this PR problem to go away we don't need people talking about Disney and money. And speaking of <laughs> which, August 5th this year, we get an uh, announcement about what a two-day long experience in the Halcyon is going to cost.
0: The, uh, the Star Wars Hotel. There we
1: go. And CNN reports, Star Wars Hotel coming with an out-of-this-world price tag, travel and leisure. Disney Star Wars uh, Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel will cost family $6,000. <laughs> USA Today, I thought of this one. New Disney Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel stay will cost more than a a mortgage.
0: (laughs) Wow. That's uh, the headline writer at USA Today was having fun with that one.
1: And then finally, to today, we were just talking about the headlines that Jeannie got. And we are six weeks out at this point from the start of the 50th anniversary celebration. And we now have this cumulative narrative that, you know, for for four months solid, every two weeks, we've had some sort of story about how expensive it is to go to Disney. And... The company, in fact, is a term they actually use in the company called the income qualified. <laughs> Wait, We would call them rich folk. Well, see, right? that's it. Exactly. You can't call them rich folk, but you can call them income qualified. But those, these are the people who, when it comes to Genie and it's like, how much to get my kids on the ride? Sure. Or $5,000, you know, at least, you know, to go on the Halcyon. Absolutely. But Disney counts on, so many of us go back every three and a half to four years because it's kind of a family tradition and we have nostalgia and affection for the characters. And this sort of thing, this drumbeat, this cumulative thing about, you know, how Disney has gotten expensive is a very dangerous thing to put out there, to have in the zeitgeist, especially at this time, when you have Florida kind of seeing a resurgence of COVID. In fact, I think you were talking in the previous show about the, the, when the COVID numbers went up, how many people from travel agents you deal with yeah,
0: just canceled, just canceled.
1: Yeah. And it just sort of, yeah. do you really want to give people an additional reason to cancel their trip to Walt Disney world to have them? Well, geez, it's expensive and potentially dangerous.
0: It's a lot. I, I think at this point, media relations is, is just giving up. I mean, they're, They're trying to triage all of this as best they can. But I think this stuff is coming so fast. Again,
1: Glenn, this is a really dangerous narrative to have out there, especially with Universal down the street with Harry Potter and the Minions and soon to have Super Nintendo. I mean, people still want to go to Florida vacation. But what they're hearing from friends and family is Disney is too expensive. That's the year you go to Universal. That's the year you're going to book a room at at the dockside and discover what you can get there and how much further your dollar goes.
0: It's a thing, right? So the, you know, the the Metrical Express replacement is a hundred and some dollars per trip now for a family. Family of four going for four nights if they wanted to get the fast passes that were free last year, it's $15 per person per day. So that's 60 times 4 is another $240. I mean, you're looking at an extra $350 on your trip right there yeah, yeah. just for the things that were free mm-hmm. in 2020. That's a difficult proposition, right? Cuz it's not like the I mean, it's not like all the other prices went down, mm-hmm. right? Hotels get more expensive every year, tickets get more expensive mm-hmm. every year. Yeah. But the experience hasn't changed. We're just paying $350 more now for the same things we got last year. Mm-hmm.
1: But the fact that the spotlight has been thrown on this issue. And it, it's in the headline of all the stories. When the park opened up and it, it had the ABCD ticket system, that first summer there were all these stories about geez, you have to pay to go on every ride, and you know, you're constantly reaching in for your wallet. And It's the nickel and diming that people hated, yeah. And that's why Walt invented the ticket book that figured, you know, you you buy your admission at the same time you get this book full of tickets. Yeah. 10 adventures, 15 adventures, you know, that sort of thing. And so people weren't always reaching into their wallets. And so that sort of placated the masses, you know, they're, all right, I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah. And they focused on they had a good time rather than how many times they opened their wallet. And, and right yeah. now... Disney has set up the perfect storm. You know, the, you know, between Magical Express, between the launch of Genie, between the, the Halcyon, it's just so much is out there about have you heard how expensive it is to go to Disney.
0: Oh, and you know that there's gonna be upsells on the Halcyon. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of nickel and dime. It think. is. I'm gonna be surprised if this whole thing lasts five years. Mm. Like it just doesn't seem like this is something that people will just get used to. I don't see the system that we that was announced yesterday being the same system that's in place in five years.
1: I know Disney wants people to go home and talk about, you know, exactly all of the Oh, people are gonna go home and talk about it, Jim. Yeah. People are gonna <laughs> But they they wanted people to go home and talk about the ease of use and how much easier it made their vacation and that sort of thing. And I really don't uh, think that's what people are going to say. So
0: I don't think they're gonna get away from the it's very expensive narrative, but we'll see what happens. All right, Jim, thanks very much for that look at Disney's price increases in the news. Now it's time for the listeners to get involved. If you guys want to send us uh, your feelings about uh, these recent announcements Disney's made around uh, things that used to be free, uh, costing money, and how that's going to affect your travel plans, send us a note at the, the Disney Dish Podcast. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the history of Disney's haunted mansions. We'll be right back. Last week, we did part two of our Haunted Mansion series, and you had given us the story of Captain Gore and his wife Mm -hmm. and how they fit into the Haunted Mansion lore. Mm -hmm. And Disney had done some tests of this story on the studio's lot, Mm -hmm. and it seemed to work, right?
1: It did. It did. But remember, the thing of the, the Captain Gore and his bride, Priscilla, they built a lot on the back of what Walt and Ken Anderson had learned during their visit to the Winchester Mystery House up in San Jose, California. I wanted to offer not a correction, but a, a clarification. We talked about the story of Sarah Winchester, who is the widow of William Wirt Winchester, who's the gentleman who, whose company made and sold the, the Winchester repeating rifle. The story I told last week about the widow, who was supposedly fearful of all the avenging spirits uh, who had supposedly been killed by that rifle, and what they might do to her family, who, who then launched into a 40-year-long building project. This is actually the story the staff at the Winchester Mystery House has been telling since February of 1923, which was when they, this Queen and Victorian salamander was first thrown over to the public. Okay. Well, Disney dish listener Emily from Pittsburgh reached out early earlier this week to reveal that there's actually another side of the storyline, that what may have really been going on inside of the Winchester Mystery House with all those years of construction is that Sarah was actually something of a self-taught architect. Oh, really? Yeah. That. yeah, so this whole widow tortured by vengeful spirits may have been a story invented out of whole cloth by the people who purchased the Winchester family home after Sarah died in September of 2022 with the idea of actually turning the sprawling house into a tourist attraction. And if you want to learn more about this fascinating spin on the legend of the Winchester Mystery House, you need to seek out an article that Katie Dowd wrote for SFGate back in February of 2018. Wonderful title, Len. It's like, everything you think you know about the Winchester Mystery House probably isn't true. Wow. All right. Katie Dowd wrote the article, well worth seeking out. And thanks again to Emily of Pittsburgh for bringing this to Len and Maya's attention. So, stepping back into the, the story now. So, it's now spring, late spring, early summer of '57. As you mentioned, they had done the tests on the lot of the walkthrough haunted mansion attraction telling the story of Captain Gore and his bride Priscilla. And it got this huge reaction from folks on the lot. In fact, they bring employees through these mock ups of the scenes. And you're talking about. Guys who've worked on the Disney lot on effects laden movies like 20,000 Leagues Under the Season, even those guys are going, yep. How'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of great. But Walt loves this. He thinks he has a potential hit at his hand for Disneyland. So why doesn't this version of the attraction go forward? Why don't they begin construction immediately? It's a, and, Here's the thing, Len. Disneyland's only two years old at this point, but Walt has already learned something very crucial, something key to the success of a family fun park. And that's when people travel all the way up to Anaheim to visit Disneyland, they expect to encounter some Disney characters. And that, to Walt's way of thinking in, is the only real flaw in the ghastly tale of Captain Gore and is Bride Priscilla, that this early, early version of the Haunted Mansion has no direct tie to any film in the Disney library. Which I know sounds kind of strange when you think that Pirates of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansion that opened in, in 1969, you know, didn't have any character ties. But when the spook house was first proposed for Mickey Mouse Park, that thing he wanted to build on the other side of Riverside Drive across from the lot, Mm-hmm. That was supposed to take its inspiration from Lonesome Ghost, the Mickey Mouse short from December 37. and You said right. So it's not that Walt wants to revisit that particular idea. He doesn't want Mickey, Donald, and Goofy to be shoehorned in with uh, you know, Captain Gore and his bride, Priscilla. But there is another Disney character that Walt thinks would be a perfect fit for this walkthrough spook house, and that is the Headless Horseman from The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. People tend to overlook this movie these days. Part of that is because six months after it arrived in theaters in October of 1949, Here Comes Cinderella. That opens in March of of 1950, and you cannot begin to stress how much of a hit that film was. You know, the money that Cinderella made made it possible, you know, that was the seed money for Disneyland. That was the money that funded production of Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp. I mean, it was a a very consequential film for the company. But that doesn't take away from the fact that The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which came out just before Halloween in 1949, was a, a very big hit. And Walt remembered this, and because he wanted that first season of the Disneyland TV show on ABC to be a hit as well, he actually took the two component parts of that film, The the Wind in the Willows and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and actually used them for full episodes of the Disneyland TV show on ABC. The Wind in the Willows ran in February 55 during the first season, and then The Legend of Sleepy Hollow ran in October of that same year. So I remember The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. What was The Wind in the Willows thing? That's Mr. Toad. That's where we got Mr. Toad's Wild
0: Ride. Oh, okay, okay. Okay.
1: So the Legend of Sleepy Hollow airs on the Disneyland show October 26, 1965, five days for Halloween, does a huge oh, rating. Yeah. And Walt, nice. Walt remembers that. He remembers the huge lines he sees every time he goes to the park of people standing outside of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And it's like, okay, it's time for the Headless Horseman to get his moment in the park. So he goes to Ken and, hey, is there a way we could get the Headless Horseman in here? So Ken goes back to the scenario he's put together for Priscilla and and Captain Gore. Okay. We have two versions of this, one from September of 57, one from October of that same year.
0: Okay, so so the park's open for a couple of years, but construction has not started on Haunted Mansion. So where... Where was Mansion supposed to be? Like at this point,
1: Walt had envisioned the walkthrough version of this attraction being built approximately where the entrance to the Temple of Mara is right now. That it would have basically hugged the side of the Jungle Cruise. So in Adventureland.
0: In Adventureland. Oh, more like the end of Main Street.
1: Well, no, actually, this is when the early, early days of when they're thinking of doing New Orleans Square. So picture New Orleans Square jutting into the park more to the left rather than the right. It still comes in from Frontierland, but it goes deeper into the park that we traditionally think of today as Adventureland.
0: Oh, okay. All right. So just a different configuration for New Orleans Square. Okay, got it. Got and it. Okay. some
1: of that was because the other, the place where a lot of New Orleans Square wound up in the end was Holiday Land, that big corporate space. You know, where they do the parties for the Teamsters or that sort of thing. Okay, so Ken has orders from Walt to find a way to shoehorn the Headless Horseman into the Haunted Mansion server land, And he figures... The only place this really works is the Grand Ballroom, which this is where the now-dead Priscilla supposedly summons the ghostly crew of Captain Gore's pirate ship. And, and the effect we were previously seeing as we stood in the Grand Ballroom, looking out through these floor-to-ceiling windows that were kind of obscured by tattered lace curtains, but we were looking down into a harbor below the mansion where after Priscilla summoned the crew, we see this ghostly pirate ship manifest itself and then hmm. turn and start to sail toward the mansion. I mean, a killer effect. Everybody loved it, but now we got to figure out how to put the headless horseman in here. And so Ken now turns this scene into, well, for lack of a better term, it's an early, early version of Madame Leota's call in the spirits, wherever they're at. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you're standing in front of those floor to ceiling windows in the Grand Ballroom. Okay. You're still looking out below at a fog choked harbor in the distance. But in the foreground is the Gore family cemetery.
0: Okay. Who's designing this house, Jim? I'm the- <laughs> 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 I'm well, we step the- out on the veranda and, oh, look, there's oh, Uncontrolled Hubert. Oh, you know, yeah. You know, just, yeah. Oh,
1: well, okay. what, what can I tell you? But okay. So, Gore family graveyard framed by two enormous weeping
0: willows, One on the <laughs> left, one on the right. Okay, so. <laughs> the house, just, they just they just deliver Xanax to whoever's living in the house. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, good. And, and don't look at that window. Trust me, you don't want to.
1: Okay, so now the now dead Priscilla reaches out to the spirit realm asking for their aid and getting revenge on her horrible husband, Captain Gore. We first see a storm start to build out over the harbor. Flashes of lightning, followed by peals of thunder. Our attention then is drawn to the Gore family graveyard, where after we hear a few unearthly moans, we then see ghosts begin to emerge from the crypts. And Ken was under orders that the park needs to have more Disney characters. So Ken actually turns to Fantasia for the inspiration for this particular moment in the scenario. He specifically references the spirits that Chernabog Remember, he, he turned about conjures up spirits after he awakens in the the night on Bald Mountain sequence in that movie. So, they had a lot of art that had been done for that, and Ken was like, "That's great. Let's just reuse that." Mm-hmm. But what what they planned on doing was they were going to stretch. This thin scrim between the floor-to-ceiling windows and the actual physical graveyard that was out just like 10 or 15 feet away from the window. So the ghosts would be projected onto the scrim, seemingly rising up from the stones. And again, because you're looking through the windows, which are obscured by lace curtains, it's like you buy it. But now, after the ghosts rise from their grave, the storm continues to build. More lightning, more thunder. And then off in the distance, you start to hear the sound of thundering hooves, and maniacal laughter. Mm. And now, finally, we see him. A bolt of lightning illuminates the headless horseman, and he and his steed have emerged out from the uh, canopy of the leftmost weeping willow. His horse frees back, the horseman waves his sword, and then the two of them charge forward. Moving from left to right, as they pass directly in front of the guests. Now, mind you, they're behind Mm -hmm. the gravestones, Mm -hmm. but we can see them passing from left to right, and they're headed toward the other Weeping Willow now. Now, Headless Horseman is dressed in black. Uh, horse that he's riding is black too, except for his eyes, which are glowing red. So they're going to be hard to see. And, and this was a deliberate choice on Ken's part. His thinking here was, this is the fall of 57. We are still two years out from this point, from the very first use of audio animatronics in a Disney park, which wasn't the Enchanted Tiki Room, which opened in June of 63, but rather the expanded version of Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland, which debuted in June of 1960. Walt spends $1.8 million to add dozens of mechanical creatures to new sections of this Frontierland attraction, which then made sure be... Yep. Uh, This is where the True Life Adventures sections, Bear Country, Beaver Valley, and Living Desert come in. It's the first group of animatronics in the park? It's the first time Disney uses the term audio animatronic. In fact, when you go to the summer of 1960 and pull the press releases that hyped the now two-minute longer version of Mind Train Through Nature. This is the first time. You know, it's like, what's an audio-animatronic? Well, it's a mechanical elk. Yeah, Yeah, stop asking. It's a mechanical elk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Because the mechanism that's going to power the Headless Horseman and his steed as they move across the backyard is going to be so primitive, so obvious, Ken's determined to do everything he can obscure it. So first of all, we've got the gravestones in front of the track. Secondly, the only time we see this thing is during lightning flashes or when the lightning isn't flashing, we get the glowing red eyes of the horse so we can track its progress across the backyard door.
0: Okay, so backyard lightning,
1: glowing Mm. red eyes. I was lucky enough to get the chance to talk with Ken Anderson before we lost him in December of 1993, and Ken actually revealed to me that there are two headless horsemen. That I wanted to use in this this scene in the in the backyard. Okay, I mean, and and it's it's really it's kind of ingenious because remember we've got our weeping willow. Mm-hmm. The whole setup is two weeping willows on the other side of the yard. So the first figure of the headless horseman is the horse rearing back with the and with the rider waving his sword. Okay, it's only after the ghosts rise from their grave and we've been looking. Center at the gross rising for the graves, so we're not paying attention to the uh the weeping willow on the left and what's going to happen is a bunch of the branches on the weeping willow on the left are going to suddenly lift up and there under that is going to be the headless horseman steed you know rearing back and he's waving his sword and there's a lightning flash And will be look over and it's like Whoa, what's that? And then now it's dark and oh. the leaves, leaves fall back into place. And now coming out from under the tree on its track is the
0: riding version of the Headless Horseman,
1: who, again, just moves Jim, from left. Jim,
0: this, this attraction would have to be sponsored by Depends Undergarments <laughs> at that point. Like, yeah. what the people would just lose their... Oh, no,
1: no, absolutely, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, the killer part of it is that you would ride from left to right, disappear again under the canopy no, of the yeah, tree. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. You'd still hear the maniacal laughter of the, the horsemen in the room. And the, the guide's like, eh, maybe we need to leave this room. And so, you know, as you head to the next room, in the time that it takes for one group to pass out, another one to come into the ballroom, yep. they do reset. The horse would, you know, and rider would then go back. It's, it's two separate figures. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And ingenious setup. Ken did what Walt asked. He put the Headless Horseman in. Mm -hmm. But the problem is going forward, they're still sticking with the ghastly tale of Captain Gore and his spied Priscilla. And and the scene really isn't playing. The scenes after this really aren't playing as well without the whole Priscilla summoning the the ghost pirate ship and the crew coming back to torment the captain. Oh, in much the same way that Walt moved beyond what he was designing Mickey Mouse Park with you know, which only had Old Town and New Town, you know, the the earliest iterations of Main Street USA and Frontierland, and how when he moved, you know, they moved to Anaheim and they had so much more land, he had to he expand his thinking. Which which is how we got a Disneyland that also had a fantasy land and Tomorrowland and uh, Adventureland. Mm -hmm. Walt was like, the headless horseman thing is killer. I am expanding the way I'm thinking about the Haunted Mansion. And so there's an interview that Walt does in the fall of 57 with a British journalist. And it's the very first time that he talks about the Haunted Mansion. So the journalist is asking well, what's coming next to Disneyland? And Walt, being the master of promotion he was, well, you know, next year we begin work on, on the Matterhorn and the Monorail, and, you know, we've got the subs coming. But let me talk about what's coming after that. I'm thinking that what we want to build here at Disneyland is a retirement home for restless spirits. So ghosts from around the world will have someplace that they can call home. And so he's already... (laughs) Changing. <laughs> he's these. always
0: looking 10 years down the road. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it just, the whole notion of, I want a place where we're not telling a story with just two story, you know, characters. I want a haunted mansion with lots of characters. But from the time he's talking with this journalist in the fall of 1957 to when they actually finished construction of the mansion in, I want to say, December of 61, this idea, the placement of the, the mansion, slips and slides around a lot. It goes from the spot we were talking about earlier, the, the site cozied up against the Jungle Cruise and, and Adventureland, to it winds up abutting a where uh, Holidayland had been at Disneyland. But there was also kind of a deviation plan here, Len, where the Haunted Mansion actually left Disneyland. It traveled all the way out to St. Louis, Missouri, where the very first version of this attraction was going to be built inside of a two-block-long indoor theme park that actually predated Disney Quest by 30 years. And we've talked a little bit about this, right? Yes, yes. Walt Disney's Riverboat Square. But we will get into how the mansion fit into that And then made its way back to Anaheim in the next installment of the series.
0: Fantastic. All right. Looking forward to that. Because I didn't realize... I know we've talked about the St. Louis Riverfront property, but I didn't realize that mansion was supposed to be built inside of that. That's going to be super interesting. Not only mansion. Not only mansion. This was also
1: where... The very first pirate version of pirates was supposed to be built. The blueprints for the inside of this building went up for auction a couple of years ago, and I got to see them. And mansions in there, that it's surprising how many different attractions were initially supposed to be part of that indoor theme park.
0: All right, Steve, so you can grab the um, the blueprints, and we'll um, we'll review them before the next show. We'll do fantastic. So, Good job, Jim. I try. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including a new show on the history of Disney's theme park castles. On next week's show, Jim will continue the history of Disney's Haunted Mansions. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be teaching kids how to throw Grandma Adams' world-famous knuckleball at the 73rd annual Holloway Old Timers Baseball Festival on Friday, September 3rd on East Main Street in beautiful downtown Holloway, Ohio. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.